This podcast is sponsored by the Music Player Network at musicplayer.com, the premier musician resource for keyboard players and beyond. Since the year 2000, the Music Player Network has been the go-to source for news and views on music technology, playing tips, and gigging help. The Keyboard Corner is one of the longest-running keyboard forums in Internet history, with guitar, bass, drum, and numerous recording and music tech forums also on offer. Frequented by weekend warriors, manufacturers' representatives, and professionals alike, MPN provides an invaluable resource for any musician, and it's 100% free to sign up and use. Go to www.musicplayer.com to see for yourself. Hello and welcome to episode 32 of the Keyboard Chronicles, a podcast for keyboard players of the gigging variety. I'm your host David Holloway and it's great as always to be here with you. And once again, I'd like to give a big welcome to Paul, my wonderful co-host. How are you, Paul? I'm awesome, thanks David. Great to be back with you again. Um, And I'm particularly pleased to have Paul here without, um, you know, I know you don't like talking about yourself, Paul, but you've been a busy man doing lots of gigs and lots of gigs coming up. So it's great to be able to grab you uh, between the weekends oh yes look awesome to be back gigging again as i know you are too yeah. but um not quite on the scale of what our no, next guest has no done. no good segue so yeah we've had some artists with some pretty damn diverse careers on this show and um uh, as paul just alluded to our next guest would have to be towards the top of that list from working with um a whole bunch of artists from Donny Osmond to Hard Rock Outfit Warrant, uh, from being a current member of the Moody Blues to providing music to a huge range of film and television programs. Um, Alan Hewitt is a guy worth talking to. Um, And on top of all that too, Alan has his own outfit, Alan Hewitt and One Nation, who have a single out at the moment, which will be linked to in the show notes. Um, and then I haven't even mentioned the fact that Alan works with, you know, Oprah and, you know, the other odd person. Um, so all a lot of this and more is discussed with um, Alan throughout the, the interview and we hope you enjoy it. Alan, thank you so much for joining us. We've already discussed that you, you, luckily you're a morning person because it's 8 a.m. your time, so you're bright-eyed and bushy-tailed. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, thank you for having me, David and Paul. It's it's nice to be here. No, our pleasure. Always love to talk to the Aussies. <laughs> thank you. So um, <laughs> I want to do things a little bit differently, Alan. Our, our listeners will know we tend to start off with you know your early history, but I actually want to start from the end for a change and and just talk about um, well you first as a as a broad overview, and then what you're currently up to. So if we can just kick off with give us a potted history of Alan Hewitt across the ages and then we'll start from the the most recent stuff cool yeah so um basically if we're starting from now um what the what the big thing is we're working on now is is alan hewitt and one nation which mm. is um been a project that had been kind of started in 215 2015 and um i was doing it in between tours um with the moody blues so um, the guys that are in the group are, are friends as well as, uh, you know, great musicians and Duffy King on guitar, who I grew up with in Northern Michigan, which is, uh, is, uh, in the Northern part of the United States. And then also, um, we had Billy Ashball who plays in the Moody Blues. He's the, the, one of the two drummers with, he's the, with Graham Nash and then, and, um, David C. Johnson, who's with the Neville Brothers, oh, which yep. is a yeah cool band out of New Orleans. Um, so it's just a real nice combination. We love hanging out with each other, and the chemistry is is awesome. We there's um, the guys bring a lot to the songs, uh, just a whole new vibe. And so we're looking forward to finishing this record up, and then you know as soon as things start moving along here we'll be able to start going out and doing some touring yeah in between 
the other stuff we do. So that's that's kind of the summary of it. And and genres are evil, Alan. But what genre would you put um, Alan Hewitt and One Nation in? It's kind of it started out as more of a fusion, mm. progressive rock, and now it's probably it's a little more progressive rock yeah. and fusion. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, but well, I think at a show when we play, it will be pretty much a 50 50 thing because, you know, we'll be playing stuff from both albums. Um, so, and we like doing both, but I just kind of thought it would be a good idea to, to maybe go toward this, this, uh, more of a progressive way because we we all love we grew up with that stuff so we really like it so we yeah you know let's go for that yeah who who were, you, who were your prog influences over the years Alan well I loved I of course I loved Yes and yeah. Channel Giant Emerson Ingham Palmer yeah. was a real biggie because um, one of the first bands that I played in when I was a kid uh, we there was three of us and I was a drummer at that time um, and I uh, Carl Palmer was you know like a big influence and. I had that same. I had his huge drum kit, timpanis, vibes, <laughs> all that stuff, <laughs> and um, and so we would take uh, Tchaikovsky tunes and and turn them into rock things, kind of like you know Emerson Palmer did. So so it was real interesting, and we kind of went up the 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 the, the food chain pretty fast because we started opening up for all these you know big groups, and and uh, so it was a real. Nice kickoff uh, to, to get things going. Yeah, yeah. And um, before Paul uh, um, asks you the next question, I, I did neglect to ask you, how, you, how have you been going? You mentioned lockdown and COVID. How, how have you been keeping busy over that period of time? Well, yeah, actually, it's been a kind of a nice con- constant thing. Um, not as busy as I normally would be, but since I do film and TV mm. projects as well, um, those can be done from my studio at home. Yeah. And, um, so that's been, that's been a lot of it. And of course, then I, we added on doing the record. Um, I call them records still, uh, so the, uh, one nation record. And then I've been working on, um, John Lodge's, uh, two projects as well. He had a couple singles and then, um, we also did a Royal affair tour in the um, 2019 summer with Carl Palmer and, and, and um, yes, and, and Asia. Wow. So that yeah. live record is coming out and uh, yes, put theirs out already. And ours is coming out in um, I think September. Wow. That's so, right, so that's, that's been good. And it's kind of interesting because during um, we did a, with one nation, we did a, a, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, virtual show at a studio oh, yeah. on the other side. Yeah, Florida. And uh, that was called Prague Stock, uh, virtual Prague Stock. And, and uh, we all got COVID from that. So that, that was a. Uh, oh, nice. That, that was in October. So we got that over with quick and, 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 and did that. But, but nobody was too happy about it, I tell you. No, so, well, I, I have to say you're our first guest, and I don't mean this flippantly, that's actually had to live through COVID that I'm aware of. Yeah, and it was bizarre because we it was weird that we all got it. Yeah. So. I'm, glad, I'm glad you all recovered. That's the main thing. So. Yep, all set now. That's good. So putting together the, the One Nation band, Alan, I, I'm, I'm assuming just by the way it's titled that, that you're, you were, I guess, the instigator and the driving force behind it. What was that like? Was it a case of just, you know, obviously you mentioned these guys are not only great musicians with, with impressive resumes, but, but friends as well. Was it just a case of ringing up and saying, hey, I'm keen on doing this? So I'm really interested in that, that process of putting those that group of guys together and, and embarking on the project. Well, yeah, the it's it's the first version of one nation was um jamie glazer from uh chick korea's electric band and john luke ponte and and then uh jb collier and sonny emery from bruce hornsby so that was the first version and then duffy king was all also in that um who's mm-hmm. in this one so um that one was uh also through relationships because I worked with Earth, Wind, and Fire, so Sonny Emery was a drummer from that. And then J.B. Collier played with all my other projects mm-hmm. as well. So 
Um, so that was really, that was a great band and fun. And then some time went on. Um, and while we, a lot of times when Billy Ashbaugh, the drummer, mm-hmm. during sound checks for the Moody Blues, we, I would come up with these things, you know, and we kind of play mm-hmm. around with them just to get warmed up. And um, I said, man, you sound great on this stuff. So, so that was the first key. Yeah. And besides Duffy was going to also be in a Duffy King guitar player. And, um, and then uh, our sound man from, from John Lodge recommended David for, for bass and right. got together and played. And it was, yeah, it was like magic right away. So, and the attitudes, everybody's attitude is just super. So we all, you yeah. know, when it's a team, it makes things so much easier. Yeah. And if you're trying to, you know, beg people to play and, and do all that, it's just, it's everybody's working in the same direction. When that happens, um, that's when obviously good things come about. Oh, the, the vibe, just watching your, your YouTube videos, it just looks like there's a serious love for the project and the music and you're having a lot of fun. You know, even the isolation style video, it still seems very locked in, which is mm. a great thing to achieve. I think that's great to hear. Thank you, Paul. Appreciate no, that. Yeah. No, absolutely. And, um, I mean, obviously, Alan. Between all this, you mentioned some. I, I'm not. I think they're only a recent outfit, aren't they? The Moody Blues only been around a handful of years. And um, <laughs> so, I mean, how, how did, that's obviously a, a big part of your your current music life as well, Alan. How how did that come about? And obviously, I don't. I doubt there's a single listener that is unaware of the Moody Blues. And um, but yeah, would love to hear how you came to become involved with them. Yeah, that was wild. I've I've actually known those guys for a long time because I lived in Los Angeles for most of my life, and um, they were out there. I think they were recording an album at the time. This is this is probably back in ooh, well, it was whenever we had the L.A. riots. So, because oh, um, yeah, because yeah, I remember I was working on an album, Rebuild L.A. It was a uh, it was roughly 94, I think, I'm guessing, but it's roughly around Yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, so they were all in town, and, and we were all with the same management. Um, so the Earth, Wind & Fire, uh, Moody Blues, Beach Boys, uh, Warrant, and some other groups were, were with this, this management company. And so um, I got to know Justin, and we, we were hanging, just basically kind of friends, and... Um, I had a sailboat, just a small one at the time. And we'd go out sailing and just hanging around while he, he had to, you know, burn some time there. And um, once in a while, one of the projects I'd work on, he'd come and do background vocal or whatever. Yeah. Uh, and that was that was pretty much it. Uh, I did, there was some talk about me taking over. There was a second keyboard spot available at the time. and uh, But um, an, a fellow from... England uh, took that at that time. So it was great and, you know, kept relationship. But, you know, how things you just things you you lose touch with people. Well, fast forward to 2010, uh, end of 2009, we get a call from uh, their uh, agents. And we did, they just said, would, would Alan be interested in going out? on tour with the Moody Blues and or I'm sorry, they didn't even say the Moody Blues. They didn't tell us tell me who it was. And at the time I was pretty entrenched in LA. I you know, I have between doing T V projects and, and mm-hmm. film and, and uh producing, you you don't want to really leave because when right. you leave it, it yeah. So uh I, I said depends who it is. And um so we met with uh Robert the agent and uh he finally told me and and I said, oh yeah, for sure, because I know the guys and I feel real comfortable. So that's how that started. <clears throat> so I finally, after a few weeks of auditions and stuff, um, we uh, I got the gig, and uh, it started in about uh, maybe two or three weeks later, and then I had about a half a sound check to to uh, get things going. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was, it was interesting. It was, it was great, though. It is, you know, obviously it's a really fun 
fun group to be in because um, good guys, good music, lots of work, lots of things for me to do on the keyboards, and uh, so what? and good, you know. Great music. And that's probably a great story. I mean, Alan, do you want to go into detail how you didn't have much time? Like, yeah, how do you prepare for a gig like that, given the huge, well, A, back catalogue, um, and obviously the the how iconic some of their songs are? How do you prep for a gig like that? On this one, what happened, and, and actually this was similar to, I was up for the Peter Gabriel um, tour. This uh, was going to be Sting and Peter Gabriel. Oh, yeah. Not the first one, but they were going to do a second one, and his wife became ill, so that, that got canceled. Um, but uh, it was a similar thing where you get sent tracks from the production team of um, the song, you know, the live songs, and then um, also a separate mix of the keyboards. And so basically, I went through all the songs and learned all the keyboard parts, both what um, the keyboard player had done previously and what the originals were right because i think things got um you know over the years people start playing different things than yeah. what's actually on mm-hmm. so um i did have a a day to work with um justin because we pretty much changed everything that was was on the you know the keyboardist tracks he wanted to get back to what the original, original yeah, things were. So we did that, and um, and then I just kind of worked on my own for a f- you know, like four or five hours with uh, with the information that I had, and uh, just uh, rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed with myself. You know, basically with that, and uh, and I had uh, my audio, my workshop with me. You know, my couple computers and running different things and and all in the keyboard setup and my keyboard tech was there actually too which was really helpful right so because uh sounds i had pre-programmed the sounds um too because there's a lot of as you know there's different eras of sound Mm -hmm. eras yes sounds 80s 90s 70s the the original mellotrons and then going up into the you know all the different synthesizers that that uh, patrick moraz used um so that was uh also things so that's why i ended up uh, using the keyboard setup that i did yeah I, th- I think there's a really good message for for any anyone who's playing keyboards at whatever level you know there's no substitute for hard work and, and doing the preparation if you if you want to get the result uh, which really shows from that story i think ellen yeah, and that, you know the other thing too is I don't like to read um, when when I'm playing live, so um, m- the muscle memory thing has to be there. So you it's just, yep. just a matter of going over things and going over them as much as you can until you almost get sick of them. <laughs> so you mentioned that obviously you, you knew the the fellas from the Moody Blues reasonably well, but. Even with that said, obviously, you've got three gentlemen there who've been playing together for a long time. How was that process of, you know, fitting into to being part of the gang, I guess? What was that like for you? Well, you know, it was – they were so welcoming. Um, it was so seamless. I mean, it didn't mm-hmm. really s- seem like it was, like, my first day on the, on the job or anything. It was – uh, it was just a really neat thing. Uh, what was nice is Gordy Marshall, who was the drummer at the time mm-hmm. with with Graham, um, had called me and you know, um, you know, looking forward to playing with you, all that kind of stuff. And it was really supportive, uh, and that really made a big difference because it, it, you know, mm-hmm. made me feel like oh, okay, you know, because mm-hmm. I, you never know what situation you're going into after someone has left the group or yeah, you know, yep. that kind of thing. So, and so <laughs> I, the first thing I did was got all the guys or you know everybody in the band together saying listen i'm i hope everybody knows that i'm not here to replace anybody i'm just a new cog in the wheel here uh so mm-hmm. uh, so hopefully it's a good cog <laughs> and then <laughs> and so i think you know communication is so important too um and i don't really come in with any kind of ego or any of that stuff i just want to i just want to do the job right and uh, the first thing that on the first uh, show we had, which was in Clearwater, Florida, um, Gordy, the drummer, said, well, just as we're going up, 
Don't F up. <laughs> <laughs> no pressure. So we had a lot of fun because we were, we're on risers next to each other. So yeah. we kind of kid back and forth and, and uh, it was always a good time. That's and, great. Um, and you meant, you mentioned Alan about just uh, one last thing on the Moody Blues that so you mentioned all those eras and that. So what what is your current rig with the Moody Blues that it does allow you to keep track of all those eras and um, you know are you partly computer based by the sound of it or you go to synths? Just that doesn't have to be great detail, but just a bit of a rig rundown. Well, I, yeah, I have a lot of USBs. <laughs> That's um, because I I use. Um, Two motifs, uh, XFH oh, yep. and a Kronos, and a. I was using a, a Arturia um, Origin, but it, oh, yeah. it it gave up the ghost. So um, so the Kronos is kind of taking the place of that, and then um, a couple um, Memetrons, oh, yeah. which is the digital. Mellotron. Um, mm-hmm. So each of those have some source of saving, you know, mostly USB, but that Memotron has uses a disk. And um, so, so that's what I do is I save each show uh, on there. And that way I'm all set up for if, if, if I get surprised with, Oh, we're going to do this set list today. Yeah. <laughs> and um, the, the Yamahas are, are great because I set them up in so I have two or three sections of the keyboards being used for different things. Yeah. Um, and if not, then I'm using I'm layering a lot of things. So I that's what I like why I picked the motifs because they were really nice to um, make multiple keyboards out of because I really wanted to bring a lot more keyboards with me yeah, at the yeah. time when I started with them because. They said, uh, well, how many keyboards do you think you'll be using? I said, no, I think I'm going to need 10 or 11. And, uh, <laughs> and, and, and Justin goes, good luck with that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I talked to uh, the, 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 um, the, the uh, road manager, um, he goes, I think we're going to have to cut that down. He goes, you know, what can you cut that down to? I said, I think I can maybe cut it down to four or five now. So, so, so that's, that's what we ended up doing. But it, it definitely took me some thinking, you know, yeah, yeah. but after I, after I did the show and stuff, then I realized, okay, well, I really didn't need all that. I could, I could figure this out. <laughs> but it looks great, Alan. It looks great. Yeah, it does. But I still like, I still love seeing a lot of keyboards. Absolutely. Yeah, it's cool. You can never have too many. You no. can never have too many. Alan, I'm curious about with One Nation. You were, you were talking before about you guys are keen to you know get get your album finished and released, and then when you can tour it. Have you started to think about what what a keyboard rig might potentially look like for that tour? I'm still thinking about it. Actually, I I use a similar thing with that as as I do with the Moody's, but the but. Traveling is an issue these days, mm. so um, the airlines are getting tight with, you know, if you're hauling a, a hundred pound, couple hundred pound keyboards and some yep. smaller ones. Um, I do use the difference is I use a Hammond um, SK1 oh, yeah. for my Hammond sounds, um, and instead of a Memetron, I don't use the Memetron because I have plenty of Mellotron sounds on my um on the chronos and also on on the yamaha you know say so that's that's the rig but i'm probably going to have to go with some you know i'll probably use omnisphere and maybe key keys key lab uh on a computer as well so yeah i'm still thinking about it i have a little bit of time to figure it out to knock that out yeah yeah for sure I, i i've stayed away from from the computer-based thing because I used it a little bit for with the Moody's and you know if I did a slide or something it would a lot of times it would stick and and yeah. after I did that two times that was it I just didn't want to use it anymore yeah mm-hmm. yeah it'll be interesting with Omnisphere and a computer Alan for that exact reason because it's pretty processor heavy that but it's a great piece of software oh it is I love it yeah. I use it all the time yeah. for the studio maybe I'll use that for more sounds the sound part, you know, like if, if there's sounds that I need or yeah, yeah. You know, the cleansing, that kind of thing. Yeah. No, great. 
And and so before we move on to your incredible and prolific career in television and film, I probably will jump back. So what? How did you start out in music? What what as a child? What got you into it, Alan? I know you mentioned you were a drummer, but yeah, what was your early days that led you to getting into this great career? Well, you know, my brother was older than me and kind of in the hippie generation, you know, and um, we had a. I'm from a pretty small town, much smaller than Adelaide, um, and. They had a, they called them pop festivals back then, and and all these groups from the big city were playing, and it was so cool. It was like I don't know if you remember these bands like Frigid Pink and um, oh SRC and John Mayall was oh, there, yeah. and yeah. Um, I mean groups that are some of them are still around. Yeah. Um, and I saw that, and wow, it blew my mind. <laughs> <laughs> and it was interesting because later on, after I became an adult, I ended up working with a few of those people. One of them, uh, Sean Murphy, who was a uh, background singer for Eric Clapton and oh, yeah. and uh, the lead singer for Little Feet. Oh, yeah. And then uh, Dick Wagner, who wrote Only Women Bleed for Alice Cooper and was a producer. So mm. I worked with them later on. So it was really surreal. That hands up a lot with me where I saw or met somebody and then in the in future i end up working with them that's it's it's a neat thing so anyway that was the inspiration and um i got yeah so you know i said let's start a band guys and so uh um my friend who was a doctor's son he ended up doing keyboards because he could afford to have the keyboard (laughs) i ended up on the drums (laughs) 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 <laughs> and that's how it started. And then my then my friend after after like a year we we got playing and stuff. My friend kicked me out of the band for a guy that had a bigger drum set than I did, and uh, <laughs> that was really the start of of uh, okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna show them, <laughs> and I just I just was nonstop practicing nothing would stop me that's all i did is i just practiced and practiced um and got pretty good on drums um i'm not any good anymore but i'm good at programming (laughs) and um and uh, and so that that's that's where it went on i switched over to keyboards i had all kind of dabbled in keyboards not keyboards at the time piano and uh then when keyboards did come along i really got interested in those um, so that kind of evolved as time went on, but when it really changed is when I went to Berkeley, uh, college of music in Boston, uh, and started doing playing vibes more, you know, seriously for mallet and stuff. Uh, uh Gary Burton, wow. who's a great artist was there. And so I, you know, got some tutelage from him and, and, um, mm-hmm. and it just evolved after I got, after I got done with Berkeley was um you know like everybody else looking for a record deal and i also was the lead singer so i just it wasn't working being behind the drums so it just was a forced thing to switch over to keyboards which i was prepared to do so it that uh it was a kind of one of those transitions that just kind of happened i didn't think about it it Mm. just happened so that's how it evolved, basically. Yeah, that's basically. great. And have you do you ever have you ever been called up for some vibes work? Has that ever been a temptation to go back to a bit of the mallets mallet work? No, I still have. I have a thing called a midi uh, midi vibe. Have you ever seen that? No. Uh, it's it's really cool. It's a uh, it's set up like vibes, but it's got these rubber um, mallets or ha- hammers. And you can set it to anything you want to. So I, uh, Peter Gabriel, actually, they they use those a couple of them in 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 their thing. So I on this on the jazz, more of the the smooth jazz thing project that I used to do. Oh, yeah. um, I played those a lot, and it was fun. And I would a lot of times when when jams would happen, I would play the vibes, and I had a you know great time playing them because yeah. it's they're kind of unusual. Not a lot of people play them, so <laughs> so right. that was yeah yeah. No, that's yeah. right. Um, 
So let's talk about this incredible career of yours in television and, and film, Alan. And honestly, when researching the show, we didn't know where to start because it is such a huge, <laughs> a huge roster of stuff you've worked on. So I thought I might throw to you, actually, and just do you want to give a broad overview of what got you into the television stuff uh, and some highlights for you? And then I'll throw some other stuff at you in context of that. Sure. Um, yeah, it started I when I was actually... About that same point where I met um, Justin in, you know, that era, uh, I was living in Marina Del Rey, which is uh, the basin of Los Angeles. Uh, a lot of uh, producers and directors would stay down there, not always full-time temporarily. It would, they were apartments that you would rent, but it was on the water, so a lot of people like to be there. And... Um, I, I would say, you know, to these guys, you know, that... I'm a musician, and, you know, if you ever need me for anything, let me know. And this one guy um, who was doing a show called, uh, oh, what was it, Morton Downey Jr., okay. who was a kind of a, you ever heard of him? Um, it was really uh, kind of an obnoxious uh, talk show. It rings before, Yeah, before, the, before these talk shows, I mean, it was like, pretty pretty in your face so they needed some music for a new show he was doing and so i did it and they liked it and they said well, would you like to continue on i said yeah you know i we, they have some other shows so i built up a, enough of a catalog to go ahead and and um you know promote it to other people and i just kept getting you know different things here and there and they, it just kept building and building um and i didn't you know piss anybody off or and I did the job they needed. So, you know, that's a, a totally different kind of situation when you're doing for TV or film that you have to kind of, you have to have some intuitive power to figure out what the directors want because they don't usually talk in musical terms. And um, so it's an interesting thing and it was a good learning um, situation for me because, yeah. you know, to to, uh, you know, compose music to picture and, you know, there's a whole other level of learning to sync things up. And at the time, we didn't have the sophistication of, you know, the DAWs that we're using, which is, for, for people who don't know, digital audio workstations. Um, you know, we were using three-quarter inch tape machines and and recording devices, you know, eight track, yeah, 16 yeah. track, whatever you so, so that, that, that was, a, it was nice that I had that little bit of that background because it kind of helped for, you know, to, in the future as well for me. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, as I said, I mentioned before, the roster is huge. What, what are some of the, I've got three ones I want to ask you about in case you don't mention them, but what, what are some of the highlights over particularly the t television stuff that has stood out for you? Um, I did a show. Uh, it was it was actually Survivor for Latin America. Yeah, um, and that was neat because they did a lot of um, big, big stuff. You know, they wanted really aggressive stuff, and then they wanted some really neat, almost like uh, American Beauty that show. Remember that movie? Yeah, yeah. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so the gamut went all the way from there to to you know more of a Hans Zimmer type thing, um, and so that was really enjoyable. I can't remember the exact name of that because they called it something different. But that was that was a nice kind of show because I had been doing a lot of different things, um, what, what they call incidental music. So for for shows like Oprah and stuff, where you don't really the music is secondary; it's yeah. just kind of there. Mm -hmm. So that was neat. Yeah, and in, but, in Survivor, you're right; it's so pivotal to the whole. Thing. And for our UK, Canadian, and I'm sure everyone's aware of Survivor, but it's just, it's hard to overestimate what an iconic show that is, particularly in the US, but also in Australia and other countries. It's been running for what now, 28, 29, 30 seasons? Yeah. Yeah. And there's been some good composers on it, you know, so the, the, the bar was pretty, yeah. pretty high and, and, and it was nice, nice to be able to do that. From from that, I got this movie Swimming Upstream, which was with Jeffrey Rush and Judy Davis, oh, and it was it was a movie. It was an Australian movie. It was made from there. Mm. 
I feel um, bad. I don't uh, know that I've seen that one. And they're, they're again, using the word icons. They're icons down here. Yeah, it didn't do that well at the box office, but it was a pretty good movie. It was about a swimmer that you guys had in the 60s that was in the Olympics. Oh, Dawn and Fraser. his father was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And the father was, an, uh, you know, total elky and beat him up and, you know, that kind of thing. Oh. So, and Judy Davis, is, they're just great actor, you know, actors, yes, actresses. Yeah. So that was neat. That that led to that, and then, you know, let's see. From that led to um, like uh, Bridget Jones and and uh, Gods and Generals did some stuff because of a of uh, Mary Fall, who was uh, we produced her album, and there was some of that kind of stuff in there. So everything kind of leads to other things, and you know, working with Earth, Wind, and Fire led to working with you know all these japanese artists uh and doing shows over in 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 japan um so mm -hmm. it's it's a really interesting thing how things work another one was a kind of a neat thing was um oh what was that show called it was with tom holland it was a uh, like a oh twisted tales so that was more of a horror genre or or like um Outer Limits uh, show, um, Twilight Zone kind of oh, thing. Oh yeah. So totally different. You know, they wanted to. They wanted to. You know, you really had to set the mood if it was a dark, dark thing, or you know, if you know, in switch it go from mood to mood. So that was that was neat too. Yeah. So there's been like different, all kinds of different things like that. Those those are probably some of my mm. ones I enjoyed musically. Alan, with the extensive work you've done in Japan, is the dynamic of, of working uh, for that market different to what you might expect working in you know, the States and that sort of thing? Yeah, it was totally different because at when I did do the projects there, they would bring over 20, 30 people. And all those people had to make, you know, they made a decision uh, kind of together and then... Yep where it'd be one guy making the final um, decision and things. So, mm. but that was sometimes good, sometimes bad, because you'd get a lot of different opinions. Yeah. Oh, why don't you go this way and that way? But uh, mm. but it uh, it worked out fine. And the, they loved Earth, Wind, and Fire so much that they <laughs> we would just keep redoing their Earth, Wind, and Fire hits for yep. whatever artists they had. Um, sure. And at the time, it was a booming... Um, Japan was booming with the record companies. All of them were Atlantic, Columbia. It's much different now, of course, but it was uh, it was it was is interesting because I I just went through that stuff the other day, just listening to some of the things because we would, you know, the tracks would be so you know they'd be well they'd be the Earth Wind and Fire stuff. So so, <laughs> and, then, and then sometimes the voices didn't really fit, but they were on there anyway. <laughs> <laughs> that's all i'll say about that <laughs> yeah i can imagine yeah it's a, uh, look i yeah it's an interesting uh music market and society so yeah it's certainly different from a lot of places yeah i really enjoyed it they're great to work yeah. with it was uh it was that was that was fun it's just yeah it's just sometimes sometimes like having a having a girl's voice that's the the voice is kind of thin on a yeah, on a big good. earth wind and fire track does just doesn't work. No, no, I can understand that. Um, and I mean, three that stood out. Well, not stood out, but I just picked out of your massive list was um, obviously SNL. Was that some additional music or some direct involvement in the band? Or what? What was your SNL involvement, Alan? Yeah, that was what it was. Additional music, yep. basically, they had taken from um, from. I'm not sure where. The, I'm on uh, several different universal and in different um, sure. libraries gotcha. that are out too. Yep. So they just, they take that music and and use it for whatever they used it for. Um, and another one that I'm addicted to on YouTube now that which is the only place I can watch them is the bands reunited. The VH1 series was was that the same issue back like background or additional music or you had a more yeah similar yeah, yeah okay because a lot of those shows don't use really scoring no um, no and that the case more and more now yeah um they just pull your stuff from from different libraries yeah uh and luckily i have 
um, several that are active yeah, and, and still that's great. good. <laughs> and my third one, I know you did have a more direct involvement with, which was the Symphony in Rock, the LA Rockestra. Now, I, I listened to that last night, and there's some beautiful oh. arra- beautiful arrangements there. Were you involved in the arranging, or what was your role there, Alan? Yeah, I actually did everything on those. Um, and then, you know, had we had some um, strings, you know, some string section and stuff like that. Um, that was originally done. I don't know if you guys, um, do we have a thing over here? It's called uh, QVC. It's it's like a shopping thing, okay. you know, network. So um, they had a label with Atlantic Records, and um, they asked me to do a couple of different records. I did that symphony and rock for them and then i also did um another one called uh, voyages which was more ambient kind of thing and it was a three record set so so that's that's where that came about and then i would perform on on qvc um so so that's kind of how that came about and um it was a pretty good budget for it so you know i got to do different things and and, and uh, they wanted, they wanted those, you know, they wanted songs like that, not so much original. So they wanted um, songs that had already been around. So yeah, so yeah, it was fun. It was fun doing it. And they're of course not all great songs. So it was. And, it was, and I was just was impressed a, with the arrangements, Alan, from the viewpoint that they are such well-known songs. A lot of them that, it, it, with being instrumental, they they could really have fallen down as far as standing alone as instrumentals. But they're so well arranged that they're just brilliant to listen to on their own. Yeah, really, really impressive. Well, that's good. That that's impressive that you found that. <laughs> yeah, believe it or not, it's still it's on Spotify and and Apple Music and all of them still. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> you know, you lose track of these things. They're like your little babies, and you lose track of them. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, A question that we ask everyone, Alan, is uh, with all the experience you've had playing live, can you share with us an entertaining or amusing story where things perhaps didn't go as planned from a keyboard playing point of view, anything, you know, a a technical thing that may have gone wrong that you had to uh, wriggle your way out of? (laughs) Yeah, I I have one that's, this this is a wild one. So we're, I'm on tour with Moody's. Moody Blues, and we're um, we're playing in um, Nashville. Mm-hmm. It's a place called uh, oh, it's an old church down there that they converted into a music hall, and okay. it's haunted. It this thing, this place is haunted. It's got two, two haunt, two uh, different entities in there. Wow! And I, the problem every time I go to Nashville for some reason, there's a the pollen count, it's always in the spring, and the pollen count is just over the top. Uh-huh. And I was so, I, my head was so full, I couldn't even think. So I, I don't normally take anything, but I took a Claritin, which was a big mistake. Right. And, and uh, I was out of it. So I <laughs> turned this one, one song. I totally, I'm, it's the part where it stops and I'm alone. Oh. I, I yep. totally spaced out, didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> and um, luckily, Gordy got us back in. Uh, and um, I, I, go, I figured, well, that's probably it for me. But at least you've got, <laughs> at least you've got that I was off my face on drugs story for legitimate yeah, reasons. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, so I went off to stage and, uh, you know, I said, yeah, sorry, guys, I'm, you know, what? <laughs> it wasn't a big deal to them. They said, you know, if we wanted a machine, you know, we would have got one. Yeah. <laughs> so they were really cool about it. But I, you know, I, I was fairly new, and um, and I thought, well, you know, that's that's probably going to be it for me. <laughs> but they were really cool about it, and um, and I found out later we all make we all make mistakes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's so true, and it's. it's Part of the beauty of listening to live music is you know things don't always go to plan and that's cool like like you said if if, if you want a machine you can stay home and listen to the record can't you exactly that, you know what's weird about that place too is that the next time we played there too i didn't make such a big mistake but i made a mistake it's because i can see out the corner of my eye i can see like something floating around over on the left uh, side <laughs> of the stage 
And, and uh, I said, you know, I asked them, you know, how, how, how often do they, you know, sh- show up? And they go, well, they like the concerts, so they show up for the concerts. <laughs> they, they actually do ghost tours in that wow. place. Okay. Oh, okay. Wow. <laughs> so that, that's, that's, that's my story. I like it. That's our first that's, one with ghosts I'm involved. To it. That's good. <laughs> Def- definitely our first one with ghosts involved. That's awesome. Alan, Alan, another question we love to ask all our guests is if you could tag a keyboard player, someone that you think would be, you, you'd perhaps like to hear interviewed on the podcast, who do you think that would be? Someone that, you know, maybe you've you've admired or has influenced you or you'd love to learn a bit more about them? Well, I love Rick Wakeman. Yeah. Um, I, there's really a lot of my, I, I mean, Chick Crew was one of my favorites. Yeah. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, such a huge loss. Yeah. yeah. Yes. And yes. that was like Emerson was also yes. um, a big favorite too. And mm-hmm. I got got to do a Nam um, presentation with him for Hammond, and oh, that was big cool. big deal for me. So that was fun. Um, Brian Auger. Oh yeah. And mm-hmm. um, I like Tony. I like let's see. Oh, geez, oh, there's so many. Um, weather report. I like, uh, I like him. I like, there, there is the influence of keyboard players is pretty, pretty. There's so many great ones. Genesis keyboard player is great. Oh, uh, Tony you know, Banks, yeah. That he's, I mean, that he's really underrated, I think. He's, um, uh, so you know, it's up and down the map. There are so many good Jordan Rudis, you yes. know, was, was great. Um, mm. you know, Get uh, through the days. We play cruise to the edge, so I get to you know I've met Jordan and um, some other people. Um, I didn't really know who Jordan at, at the beginning of um, you know when I started out with the Moody's, but um, you know as time went by, you know you run into the same people yeah. all the time. Yeah, yeah. There's mm-hmm. so many good people, but they yeah, that's. Uh, I can't narrow it down to one. No, that's a hell of a list for us to work through. That's perfect. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's excellent. And um, I apologize, Alan. This this final question, and I, I wouldn't expect you would have listened to any of our other episodes, but we do try and give our guests a, a heads up on this question, so I apologize for not, and that is Desert Island Discs, so five albums you couldn't live without. And Let's I, see. Um, I... I like Weather Report, um, you know, Storm, Heavy Weather, uh, Chick Korea's Romantic Warrior, with that, the Return to Forever Romantic Warrior. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. Yes, Close to the Edge. Great one. And Emerson Lincoln Palmer, Brain Salad Surgery. Yep. Mm-hmm. What would be my fifth one? I got to make that a special one. Hmm. Well, let's go with... Uh, that fifth one's a tough one. I'm going to leave the fifth one open. Fifth one is miscellaneous. There you go. I like it. I just impressed you came up with the first four so quickly. Some people agonize over that, so I'm impressed. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's brilliant. Now, Al, we can't thank you enough for spending this time with us. It's been an absolute pleasure. And, um, We'll obviously um, hope the new album. The album's coming out soon, isn't it? I know the single's obviously out, but... Um... Yeah, we're going to... Uh, it will probably be around the end of summer. I'm kind of... Or we want to time it so it's not out too far before we tour. So yeah. so mm. we can uh, get a beat on things. As we go through the summer, I think we'll all be able to see, you know how things are going yeah. how is it over there oh we're and, we're, and, we're very lucky compared to to most countries very few cases we are, we do feel very privileged because we live on an island so yeah, yeah. we feel very privileged yeah. so you have some form of isolation basically there that's right yeah so very few yeah. cases and we're essentially you know we're back to gigging even in paul's and my weekend warrior version of it we're, we're back gigging and we feel very lucky to be doing so oh that's great yeah. good now what do you guys what do you guys play we're both keyboard players, and um, I'm right. just I'm just a weekend warrior covers band. Paul does something a little bit more impressive with a Pink Floyd tribute band um, that tours. Oh, very but cool. yeah, very cool. Our our sound man is is uh, for for John Lodge is actually um, doing that with a, a Pink Floyd band over here too. And uh, 
That's fun oh, stuff, isn't that? That's that's great music. Well, I'm glad you guys are keyboard players. That's excellent. I I was wondering why you called it Keyboard Chronicles. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was excited to do it because of that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's, no, that's right. No, we're addicts. Yeah, we, we, and I would say ninety percent of our listeners are keyboard players too. Yes, Alan, nice. which nice. which is which is the reason for the technical questions about your rig and your gear and that sort of stuff. Yeah, that's great. So, well, yeah, that's uh, yeah, international audience. Did I get away from? I forgot what the question was. No, it was just I was starting to thank you for for everything, and um, yeah, oh, I, ho- right. I hope things do get back to to normal for you soon, and. Um, yeah, we'll certainly post a link in the show notes to the single, and obviously they can catch up on your social media sites and that from where I link. And um, it's been wonderful talking to you. Oh, that's great. Thank you, David and Paul. Great talking to you too. And there we have it. So it's a cliche, and I might as well just pre-record this, but what a great guy he was. Yeah, really, really nice gentleman, and as a, I had a smile on my face the whole time we were chatting to him. He's just a just a little lovely personality. Yes, and and I say this every time, David, but it just proves that keyboard players are good people. They are. Yep, absolutely. Um, so, and look, he, he had such a prolific career. I felt like we couldn't get to a lot of things, and I know I didn't cover even some of the stuff I mentioned in the intro around, like Tony Osmond and Warrant from one extreme to the other. But it was just, yeah, such a diverse career. That that's how to have a career in music, I'd argue. Absolutely. Um, so there we have it again. Um, the Keyboard Chronicles will be back in the next few weeks. Um, and just a reminder that you can keep in touch with us via a few means. Our website is www.keyboardchronicles.com. Um, we're on Facebook as always at facebook.com forward slash keyboard chronicles because the Facebook grand jury haven't banned us yet. Uh, and we're on Twitter <laughs> at uh, the keyboard chr1. And our good old fashioned email address is editor at keyboardchronicles.com. Um, if you'd like to become an official supporter, we do have a Patreon account where for the price of a coffee a month, you can help us go from strength to strength. Um, and actually, I'm excited that from next episode, we'll be doing some big shout outs to some of our Patreon supporters. Um, and they, they're coming from some interesting areas and they do some great work in the area of keyboards themselves. So there'll be some more shout outs next episode. Um, and then a huge thank you to you, Paul, again, for joining me between what is a very busy life. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And uh, most importantly, thanks to you all out there for listening and we hope to see you back here next episode. Mm